Hello and welcome to episode two of Coping with Creativity, a podcast for creators about coping with that unrelenting need to create, our mental health, self-imposed pressures, actually succeeding, and everything in between. My name is Jesse Lawson, and in this episode, we are going to focus on the worth of our creations. With that in mind, we'll kick off our first segment, Notes for Notable Questions. From an anonymous asker, Dear Jesse, I love to do graphics design and even ended up getting a really good job out of college where I could design marketing material for a small local company. However, as an artist, I feel like I need to have a portfolio, but the problem is I don't feel like anything I have really made is worth putting in a portfolio. I really like making wallpaper backgrounds and big poster-sized spreads in Photoshop, but I just get so frustrated with how awful the end product is I end up abandoning it for something else and then the cycle of starting over, working hard, getting close to the finish line, then abandoning it continues. So I guess my question is this, how can I stop wasting my time on things that end up completely worthless? Well, thank you for that question. I can't think of a single thing I have ever worked on that did not at some point involve me abandoning it at least once, sometimes more than once, because I knew that since I didn't like it, no one would like it. Sometimes that involved me abandoning the project forever. Just because I'm here doing this podcast doesn't mean I am immune to feeling like the thing I have spent all of my free time trying to shape and mold is absolute garbage. I feel that about a lot of things. And that's always the case, isn't it? We work really hard on an idea, spend so much time with it that we just don't like it anymore, and then somehow come to the conclusion that since we are sick of it, then the whole world must be sick of it too. It sure makes it easy for us to abandon the project then, doesn't it? See, I don't think we really think the world is or even would be sick of what we're making. I think when we are talking about whether our art is worthless to the world, what we're really saying is that since we ourselves feel worthless to the world, how can what we create possibly have any value? Whoa, 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 Jesse. Worthless? Really? When I say that we are worthless, what I'm saying is that we, as singular human beings, have no intrinsic worth to anyone. I'm a sack of meat and bones, and that's it. Just like you. Sack of meat and bones. Just like the person over there. Sack of meat and bones. It is only when you combine this sack of meat and bones with my conscious action that you begin to have something to ascribe value to, the result of my actions. When I choose to do things, I generate something that others can derive value from. That value can be emotional or spiritual or even tangible or monetary. But I don't get to define the value of my actions. That's us mistakenly trying to translate how a company evaluates the price of a product to how we ascribe value interpersonally. It's what capitalism teaches us to do when we have goods or services to sell. It's what we learned about in school. Supply and demand are inversely proportional, and we ought to price our products according to some sweet spot derived from a marketing analysis. But if all that were true for our creations— then there wouldn't be so many people struggling with whether or not their work is worthless, and a lot less people would be worrying about whether they themselves are worthless. If the only lens we have to inspect our creations is a capitalist lens, then of course our work is worthless, and of course we are worthless, because you don't have any tools other than demand to measure our value. 
and there won't be any demand before the project is done. There can't be because there's no supply to demand. Here's another way to think of it. We are trying to ascribe a measurement that is the product of an economic system on something that transcends economic systems. You can buy someone's art, but regardless of whether it's ephemeral or lasts until the end of humanity, you cannot purchase nor can you control how a creation influences its audience. For that reason, you cannot tell me that your creations are worthless because you aren't the person that can make that valuation. Here's the thing, though. I think deep down, we already know this. I think we know full well that our work can't be bad until it's done, and so we tell people, we tell ourselves, oh, I'm just working on it, or it's still just a draft, or it's not ready. What we're really doing is selling ourselves on failure. We give ourselves permission to quit. And do you know why? Because what if we are right? What if we do finish that project? And what if we do put it out there for our friends and family to see? And what if they all hate it? What if our self-doubts and our criticisms were all right this whole time? Isn't it funny how crippling that one question can be? What if we're right about our work, about ourselves? Ironically, this way of thinking is perfectly normal. In fact, if you didn't second-guess yourself constantly, I would think something's wrong with you as a creator. But you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? And you know where this is going. If we never finish what we started, we never have to come to terms with the fact that anywhere between one and seven and a half billion people will not find value in our work. Seven and a half billion people are on this earth. At least that's what the internet told me in 2016. And new ones are being born each and every day. Why is this important? Because if you honestly believe that not a single person on this planet now or in the future will be moved by your work, will find value in your creations, then you are absolutely delusional. It's a statistical improbability. Statistically, it's more likely that you will be struck by lightning while being attacked by a bear who is also being struck by lightning than your art not have a positive impact on at least one person somewhere, sometime. So you don't get to say whether your art has value or not. You don't get to say whether something you're making is worthless or not because art is about self-expression and despite what capitalism wants us to believe, you can't really monetize true expression of the self. And you can't ascribe worth to your own art because you are the one who created that social artifact. So it's no longer yours to control. It's a social artifact now and it's time for it to serve its purpose to serve art's purpose. We creators have an incessant need to create things. Why? I have no idea, but what I do know is that all the hours and frustration and pain and exhaustion all make sense when you think about one person, just one person, somewhere out there at some time in the future, or now, or whenever, who haphazardly stumbles on your creation as they're on the precipice of a dark cliff that has been beckoning them for days, weeks, even years. How powerful your creation has become that this person can forget about that dark cliff, 
those looming shadows that they've been trying to distract themselves from. It can even be much simpler than that. Maybe someone read your story, or glanced at your drawing, or touched your sculpture, or played your game, or heard your music. And maybe the total time they spent with your creation was less than a minute. Does that mean your creation is worthless? Well, here's an exercise. Think of something right now that someone did or said or made that passed through your life at some point in the past. Maybe you remember a story someone told you a long time ago. Now, let me ask you this. Do you remember it? Do you think about it, even though you don't know why? Has it affected you in some way, even minutely? Why do these things stick to our minds? Maybe no one has the answer, but I do know that your work is doing the same thing right now. It absolutely is, which is why it is paramount that you get your work finished, get it out there in the world in any way you can. The only thing worse than bad art is art that was never finished. Remember that. Anyone can start something and quit, but not you. You will finish. You have to, because that's what creators do. And you know what's amazing about all of this? We might never know who we make an impact on. The information age has made it possible for us to produce art and put it out there for the world to consume. Take this podcast project of mine. I have no idea who is listening to me, but I do know there is some impact that I am making, positive or negative, purely from the act of experiencing it. There is always, always something going on when someone experiences someone else's creation, positive or negative. But chances are, I'll never meet you. I'll never know what kind of an impact I had on you, positive or negative. And you know what? That's okay with me. I am okay with that. Because I know that I have to have made some kind of impact on at least one other human being in this world. And if that doesn't drive us to continue to create, to push past our self-imposed obstacles, then what are we doing? Our charge in this life is not to hunt for evaluation of our creations as a means of extrinsic validation. It's to come to terms with the fact that our creations have no worth to us. They are not for us to consume. Our creations are for others. We create to add to the culture of our time and times that come after us, contributing in a way that makes the most sense to us, to the people who need to create. Of course, speaking philosophically and waxing poetic is nice and all when you have the economic means to do so. For some of us, though, our art is our trade and it pays the bills. We can't be sitting around pontificating about the altruistic contributions we've made to future generations because we need to feed ourselves and our families now, in this generation. That being said, if you're trying to navigate artistic value in a commodities-based economy, you have to sacrifice some of your own desires for self-expression sometimes so that you are generating art to the specifications of paying customers. Sometimes we need to just pay the bills. We all go through it. But this doesn't have to be a bad thing. Giving yourself permission to work according to what someone else considers valuable is an easy way and hopefully a temporary way 
to start feeling comfortable with the art you're creating and a streamlined way to get extrinsic validation for your effort. But remember, the pursuit of extrinsic validation is fine when you're talking about earning money to live off of, but extrinsic motivation is a toxic and self-destructive force. Always, always, always make sure you are working for the right reasons. Make sure you are creating art for the right reasons. And for the love of everything in this universe, never stop creating. All right, it's now time for our next segment, Immediate Questions, where I read a script that you've submitted and give you all my immediate questions I have as a means of giving you a little bit of insight into what one audience member, me, may be thinking. Today's three pages is from a script called Profit in Plausible Deniability, and it is written by a writer self-identifying as Six-String Mercenary. Interior high-rise downtown Dallas office building in the morning. The summer sun through windows mixing with overhead fluorescent lights. The lone person in the office is Kurt Grant, early 30s, average white male with a semi-athletic build under his business casual shirt and slacks. A cardboard box in his hand, he slowly takes down important photos, certificates, and his university diploma from the walls of his cubicle. Pausing, he picks up a piece of wood from his desk with Marketing and Communications Associate in bold text, size, and puts it back down. Finished, he carries the box easily enough under his left arm and opens the door to leave with his right. He takes a look back and shakes his head before walking out. The arm in the door gently closes it, and the security latch clicks. Exterior downtown, Dallas, street level. Kurt's face is blank, his box is held at belly level, and he walks in the opposite direction of the flow of people heading toward their jobs. He recognizes a homeless guy with his bicycle propped up against a wall, wearing a homeless shelter name tag, and offering copies of Street Zine for sale. Homeless guy. Oh, no way. Kurt, dejected. Yeah, that's the end of it. Homeless guy. You take care, all right? You're gonna do fine, man. Holding back tears, but able to crack a smile and give a nod of appreciation, Kurt crosses the street to a parking lot. Interior, Kurt's one-bedroom apartment. Entering with his box under his left arm and a 12-pack of Miller Lite bottles in his right, he still looks somewhat in shock. He simply drops the box on the floor and goes to the fridge to store the beers, taking one out before closing the door. Kurt empties his pockets onto the kitchen counter, his wallet, keys, pocket knife, and iPhone 6 with a large crack on the screen. He sees the buildup of text messages and it vibrates as another comes in. He turns the phone upside down and walks to his living area, a stylish setup with a large screen for a projector, a modern couch with his sleeping rescue cat Gertrude near the window, and his laptop on a folding TV tray. Gertrude opens her eyes, blinks, then goes back to sleep. Sitting down, Kurt pulls hard from a bottle, opens his laptop, and starts clicking around. He sets up multiple Google Chrome tabs for job sites, Career Builder, Monster, LinkedIn, Glassdoor, and others. One by one, he updates his profile to indicate today is the day when his job was eliminated via layoff. Kurt, Alexa, play Filter. Alexa, shuffling songs by the band Filter. Kurt, Alexa, volume up. Alexa, volume up. Alexa, volume up. The rumbling bassline riff of Filter's Hey Man, Nice Shot sets the mood strong. Gertrude gets up, stretches, then goes into the bedroom as the lyrics kick in. Kurt also gets up, heads to the kitchen, dumps the empty bottles in a bin, and gets two more from the fridge. The song is roaring now. Kurt takes his seat back at the computer, opens a Word document, and starts tabbing through different job sites, copying links, pasting them into the file, and saving. Over and over and over and over. Interior, Anvil Pub in Deep Ellum. Late afternoon. 
Kurt enters, wearing a t-shirt and jeans now, and instantly recognizes the tall, bald, 20-something bartender, Frankie. He seems to relax as he notices the bar that can't fit 30 people has only a couple other customers in place. Kurt, taking a seat. Hey, a Frankie. Frankie, coming right up. A bottle of Miller Lite delivered on a coaster. Kurt hands over his credit card. Frankie takes it, swipes the register, and puts it in the cash drawer that pops open. Frankie, so what's up? You're not usually here this early. Day off? Kurt, yeah, laid off, so every day is a day off for now. Wincing, Frankie turns slowly around and gets a bottle of Johnny Walker, pours heavy into a tumbler, neat, and turns around to deliver it to Kurt or an, on another coaster. Frankie, I can relate. This one's on me. Kurt gives a nod of thanks, takes a sip, and lets it rest next to his Miller Lite. Kurt, good thinking. So much stuff out there to sort through. Gonna be a long road. Frankie, and your fault though, right? You did your work, they made their choice. Not like you threw a tantrum and pulled a half-baked scene of F-bombing and quit, right? Kurt, true that. I was in until the very end. The upstairs management changed, and at least I got a bit of severance, can file for unemployment. After ten years of steady work, I know I've paid in, right? Alright, so here are my immediate questions. Number one. When the story opens, is Kurt on the up and up? Is the reference to him being in this early 30s as opposed to late 30s, coupled with a pause of him looking at the nameplate that has the word associate on it, supposed to invoke sympathy? Is he shaking his head at himself or a missed opportunity from a future that is now no longer meant to be? Question two. When he walks past the homeless guy, is there rapport there? How does the homeless guy fit into Kurt's journey? Does he represent something, even if just audience sympathy? If it's something else, when will he see Kurt again? And if it's nothing, why is he there? What happens later in the story that will make me think back about this interaction and realize that it was in fact significant in Kurt's journey? Question three. When Kurt's phone has a buildup of text messages that he's ignoring, am I supposed to think something public happened? Obviously a lot of people know about it. Would the gravity of the situation be illustrated better if we could see who all is reaching out and what some are saying? And how do they know what happened? Question four, am I supposed to know who's texting him? Does he have other obligations he forgot about now that he's been laid off? Is there supposed to be some mystery here? Question five, once he's in the bar, is Kurt longing for escape here? Or because of his sudden life bomb, is he retracting back to his state of escape? Are we witnessing an early 30s guy just having a drink? Replaying old bad habits? Or starting a new one? Question six, at the end of the third page, are we supposed to feel relief here? Kurt's situation is revealed here to actually not be that awful. He has a severance, he'll get employment, he's single. What are we supposed to feel about Kurt right here? Is it sympathy? Resentment? Neutrality? Question 7. Since Kurt has been propelled into the dire situation of joblessness, are the next pages going to show some new opportunities for Kurt? And if so, are these going to be non-traditional opportunities? Maybe something illegal or illicit? If that's the case, is there anything we can do about the nature of Kurt's layoff and how it's projected and presented that could telegraph just how desperate he is for new employment and why he would need to jump on the first opportunity he can get, assuming the story would go that way? So those are my immediate questions. Thanks again to Six Stream Mercenary for submitting that script. And that wraps up this episode. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and I hope you found it useful. A full transcript of the episode is available on this show's website, copingwithcreativity.com, along with links to my Patreon page where you can support this podcast and all of my work. Thanks for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.